uh, we're going to get right into the word this morning. Uh, we're, I don't even have a clever intro, okay? We're just going to get right to it. I feel like the Lord has a word, and uh, I just want to dig in. So if you will, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Yeah, kids, go on to Children's Church. Sorry, I forgot that. I'm pulling a pastor this morning. It's okay. He's watching. I can say that. Mark chapter 8. We're starting in verse 1. If you're there this morning, say amen. All right, y'all are still waking up. That's all right. That's all right. All right, verse number 1. In those days, there, were, there was another large crowd with nothing to eat. So Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have already been here with me for three days and they have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from a great distance. His disciples answered him, where can someone get enough bread in this desolate place to satisfy the people He asked them, how many loaves do you have? They replied, seven. Now, I don't know about y'all, but like seven loaves of bread to feed a crowd sounds like a miracle in the making. Let's continue. Verse six, then he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. After he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, he broke them and began giving them to the disciples to serve. So they served the crowd They also had a few small fish. After giving thanks for these, he told them to serve these as well. And everyone ate and was satisfied. And they picked up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. There were about 4,000 who ate. Then he dismissed them. Immediately he got into a boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Forgive me if I'm saying that wrong. I, I thought about, like, in that moment, like, asking one of y'all to shout out to me, like, tell me how to say this, please. Um, but, you know, there's another one that's coming up. It, y'all just got to forgive me this morning. But here's, here's what I want you to understand. Jesus performed a miracle to feed over 4,000 people. Those 4,000 people that it's estimating is, like, talking about the men most likely. So it was really at least double that in all likelihood. His disciples, though, were limited in their resources and so Jesus took the little he ha- the, they had and turned it into much. How many of you know that when you offer God just what you have, he is faithful to multiply that into meeting every need with nothing wasted, with more left over? That's the God we serve. That's the miracle he performed. But why was he moved to such a miracle? The Bible tells us in verse 2 that he was moved out of compassion. He fed them because he had compassion on them. That's point number one. The heart of the Father is moved by compassion. Verse 11. Then the Pharisees came. Now, again, this is after he had already uh, crossed over, uh, got in the boat and left. Then the Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, asking for a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation look for a sign? I tell you the truth. No sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and went to the other side. 
the question that I couldn't get out of my head at that moment was why did Jesus perform this miracle like just a little bit of time prior to feed these 4,000 and didn't when the Pharisees were asked for a sign? Like in our normal mind, I think at least I, if I was present in that moment, would have been thinking, okay, Jesus, like just give them what they want so they actually like can say that, you know, you've shown them who you are, right? Like put the, the lies, put the conspiracies, put the ideas to rest and really just like show them your power, prove it. But then the Lord spoke to me and said, you know, but the first miracle again was performed out of compassion. But the second miracle that was being requested was coming from a place of malice and deceit and testing and trying to prove that Jesus wasn't actually who he said he was. It was about the posture of the heart and the person needing the miracle. Verse 14. Now again, remember, Jesus had already left that place where the Pharisees tested him. Now they had forgotten to take bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. And Jesus ordered them, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. That was a weird verse for me to read when I was going through and studying this text. And a lot of times when you come across weird verses as someone is preaching, like it's really easy to just go, okay, I'm going to keep reading so I don't have to address that. But I felt like the Lord had a very specific point here. And it was be careful what you give a foothold to in your mind, body, and spirit because what is planted will grow. Jesus is talking about yeast. It's not about the bread. It's about what is growing inside of us. So they began to discuss with one another about having no bread. When he heard of this, Jesus said to them, why are you arguing about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Have, you heard, have your hearts been hardened? Though you have eyes, don't you see? And though you have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? They replied, 12. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? They replied, seven. Then he said to them, do you still not understand? And again, I just really had to wrestle with the Holy Spirit on this one of just going, okay, but like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, I'm not even there in person, right? But I don't, I don't understand. How am I supposed to? And, and the Lord gave me some clarity. And he said, what really Jesus is really trying to say is that you just watched me meet a need. That was much larger than the one that you're, you're worried about right now. Do you not understand that the same God that was faithful to feed 4,000, 5,000 is going to be faithful to provide bread for the 12? Okay, let me put this in context for like us today. The miracle that Jesus performed 2,000 plus years ago on the cross when he took our sins on his back was crucified, died, and raised from the dead three days later, was the miracle to end all miracles. If he never did another thing for us, he would still be worthy of our praise. 
he would still have done everything and more than we could have ever asked or imagined. We don't deserve that. And that's just the one. How many miracles have you seen, heard, talked about, witnessed, and yet you're still wondering today whether or not God's going to meet your needs? Because my Bible is full of a miracle-working Jesus. And in my own personal life, have seen time and time and time again the miracle of provision when there seemed to be none. The miracle of healing when it seemed to be times of desperation. The miracle of faithfulness when my world felt like it was spinning out of control. And if God can do those yesterday, yesteryear, the Bible teaches us that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why do we not stand in faith and believe in the right now? That he is the same God right now that met your need before. And why do we worry about tomorrow when he has already proven himself faithful? That's what Jesus is really saying. It's not about the bread. It's about your faith. It's about your faith building on the more and more and more that you have seen and witnessed with your own eyes. Should uh, carry with you into your next need so that you can stand stronger and go, I don't have to cower this time. I know my God's got me. Verse 22. Then they, being Jesus and the disciples, came to Bethsaida. They, the villagers, brought a blind man to Jesus and asked him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and brought him outside the village. This is just like a little freebie this morning. Sometimes you've got to be taken out of something in order to receive what God has for you. Someone needed to hear that this morning. I don't know who it was. Then Jesus spit on his eyes, placed his hands on his eyes, and asked, do you see anything? I think the blind man would agree, like in this moment of time, that not all miracles are pretty and comfortable and sometimes they require a process. Don't be surprised when you are praying for a miracle or praying for a need or praying, asking God to, to encourage your faith when you, let, let me put it to you this way. Uh, how many of you have ever seen the movie uh, Bruce Almighty? Okay, what about Evan Almighty? Okay, so there's a scene in Evan Almighty uh, where the mother, the wife, is sitting at a table with her kids, and they had just left her husband, who had been claiming to be Noah, right? And so she's, like, really down, and the kids are misbehaving. And this man, Morgan Freeman, who plays the role of God in this movie, approaches her, and they get to talking, and he says something that has stuck with me since the first time I saw it. If you pray for patience, do you think God's going to give you patience or the opportunity to be patient? If you pray for a miracle, do you think God's just going to give you a miracle because you just said, I want a miracle? Or are you going to end up in a position where you actually need that miracle? I'm not sitting here saying that God puts us in bad places. I think there are times that that, 
God allows us and even positions us to have to deal with some consequences sometimes. Things aren't always pretty. Sometimes it gets ugly. But God never, um, never desires harm or puts harm on us. Regaining, this is verse 24, regaining his sight. This is, I think, the, maybe the biggest point that I have this morning. Regaining sight, those two words, when you take it back to its original Greek. If you left out the fact that this man was blind, the word would have meant to look up. But because he was blind, it meant that he regained sight. The purpose of this man being healed in his physical sight was not for his sight's sake. It was for his spiritual eyes to be opened and to look up to increase his faith in the Father. The miracle was the regaining of eyesight. The purpose was the man's faith. Let's continue. The man said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and he opened his eyes. When he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, do not even go into the village. First off, whatever God starts, he is faithful to complete. We see that here because in, in, I'm sure the blind man, for him to say after the first time, I see people, but they look like trees, tells me anyways that he probably was able to see at one point in time in his life, so he knew at least what trees looked like or at least knew that that's not what people were supposed to look like. So when he got his eyesight partially regained, he knew that it wasn't fully there. So Jesus touched him again. Sometimes these things in our lives, whether it's a miracle of healing, whether it's a provision of finances, whether it is um, a, a marriage being restored, whatever it is that you're praying for, it is very, 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 very rare in my experience anyways, that it is a close your eyes, open your eyes, it's done. It's a process. It's a, I've got to be taken out of the village so I can get alone with God and away from my distractions. It's a, I got to get a little bit messy and I got to face some things that make me really uncomfortable or I got to face some people. And then I think it's so interesting that that Jesus tells the man, go home. Don't even go back to the village. Because I think it's important sometimes that we discern, is that miracle just for me or is it for everyone around me to share in too? And for this man, at least, it, it seems like it was just for him. But let's go back to verse 22 for just a moment. And this is where I'm going to start bringing it to a close. Then they, Jesus and the disciples, came to Bethsaida, and then they, the villagers, brought a blind man to Jesus 
and asked him to touch him. There are two types of people listening to this sermon, whether you're in person, whether you're online, whether you listen to it a week, month, whatever from now. Two types of people listening. One, who either needs a miracle, or two, you're the person that needs to be bringing someone else to Jesus for their miracle. I want to tell you a little bit about my story here, and I'm going to get really personal. I'm not going to get graphic, but I'm going to get personal. And before I do, I want you to hear me say that There is not one moment of my past that I am afraid to face, and I would love, 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 love to have an opportunity to share more with you about it at another time when we can talk one-on-one. If this ministers to you or speaks into a situation of your life or encourages you or whatever, I just want you to know there's more to this story. But I need you to have a little bit of tough skin with me this morning, and let me be real with you. Can we do that? I grew up in a Christian home, going to church every time the doors were open. My parents were involved in ministry. I was in a Christian school from first grade all the way through, all the way through graduating high school. I went to a Christian college. By all expectations of anyone who knew me, I was going to grow up being this perfect man, not perfect, but this this, um, deeply rooted in the word, unshakable preacher. That's what everyone who would have known me as a teenager would have said. In fact, before I even graduated high school, I had conversations with uh, a man, and I'm going to leave out details here, but who basically asked me to help uh, take over a, a youth group and become like a Uh, assistant youth pastor. Like, that was the trajectory of my life. Now, at 30 years old, let me just tell you, there is no desire in my heart to be a youth pastor. I love you youth. That's just not, that's not my gift. I'm not that patient. Ask my wife. (laughs) I'm not. Ask my kids. Well, they'd tell you if they could tell you. But when I got to about 15 years old, A series of events happened in my life that made me start really questioning everything that I held true. Really started making me wonder whether or not I was even going to be able to be effective in ministry, even if I did go into ministry, because I had never had like a story to tell. I had no testimony at that point in my 15-year-old mind. And so I... Let's just say I, I, I began at 15 years old living that rock star lifestyle, that sex, drug, and rock and roll started at 15 for me. And it continued like through waves where I'd, I'd get on fire for Jesus and I'd give it all up and then another girl would walk into my life or someone would introduce me to a new pill or fill in the blank. There's nothing you can say to me that is in your story that's going to surprise me. And it continued until I was about 24 years old and I met a girl who, even though I was I was kind of on that fence at this point in my life, 24 years old, and I've got one foot in church, and I've got one foot in the world, and I'm just trying to straddle it, trying to have my, you know, cake and eat it too. I don't know if you've ever been there, if I'm the only one in the room, but this girl wrecked me. 
This girl lied to me. She told me she was someone that she wasn't. She ended up being addicted to drugs. Our entire relationship that I had no idea about until afterwards when she overdosed. Mind you, overdosing, trying to get me to stay with her. Trying to make me feel sorry for her. And for the next about year and a half, I spent every ounce of energy that I had running and running and running and running. See, because my mom and my dad and my siblings and my grandparents and my aunts and uncles, during all this time, they were down in the trenches. They were down on their hands and knees. They were anointing my pillow at night when I didn't know it. They were anointing the door handle on my car when I didn't see it. I'll never forget one time. My mom looking at me straight in the eye and saying, you don't know it yet, you can't see it yet, you can't even believe it yet, but believe me, God's already shown me that you come out of this better. Yeah, whatever, mom. And I'd go back to swiping right on Tinder. I'm just keeping it real. And I continued down this path, down this path, down this path, down this path, until I met Kelsey. In fact, like even like the, that first like week we were together, she, if, you, if she was really honest with you, and if I was being really honest this morning, like I was still kind of playing my games. And then something like clicked where all of a sudden I went, I'm never going to meet another woman who makes me not want another. I've got to get my crap together or I'm going to lose her. And now we, we weren't perfect. We still dabbled in things we shouldn't have dabbled in. And then we got pregnant with our son, Ezra. We had been together four months, five, six months. And I knew I wanted to marry her. I had already told her, you're the woman I'm going to marry. I know that, that I know that, that I know that. And she just, yeah, whatever. <laughs> She knew better. She knew I had said that, you know, however many other times before, but it really was different this time. And then she got pregnant with our son, and then I'm telling you, this was the one time in my life that was an instant change moment. And the Lord spoke to me, I think it was two or three weeks after we found out we were pregnant, and said, Austin, you love that son of yours that you have never, well, I guess we didn't know it was a son at that point, but that child of yours that you have never even met. And that pales in comparison to how much I love you and I want to restore you. It was through me becoming a father that I all of a sudden had my eyes open to what it meant to be a father and that I could run back to my father's arms and I could ask him for forgiveness. And I could reconcile my life and whatever that looked like and meant and whatever consequences I had to face, I was okay with it. Because I just had to get back right. See, the, the last week we weren't here, or the last two weeks we weren't here because we were in Ohio visiting with some family. My mom's from Ohio. My, her parents are up there still. Her uh, brother and his, his family's up there. And so every year, my family makes this trip up, and 
For 12 years, I had been uh, unable to go for one reason or another. And for about six or seven of those 12, it was my choice not to go. Because I didn't want to go and face these giants in the face that I viewed my grandparents as. Knowing the way I was living, knowing the way that I was living a double life. I didn't want to face them because I knew that they would be able to see right through me. And then I was ashamed and I let God, or I mean, I'm sorry, I let the enemy really, really, really beat me up. Bring skeletons back out of the closet that had already been put under the blood over and over and over again. And then these last three years, we weren't able to go because Kelsey was either pregnant or she had just had a car accident or some different variables. But we went, we finally got to go this time. And I got to have my conversation with my grandparents where I got to say to them, I'm sorry. But more than anything, thank you for never giving up on me, for never stopping praying, even when my actions were spitting back in your face. You see, they had the faith to see beyond what mess I was living in in this moment. And you know what they did? Like most of you in here probably would have done. They stood up out of their rocking chairs. They threw their arms around me and said, I don't care. You don't need to apologize to me. It's under the blood. I forgave you when it first happened. And here's my message this morning. If It all boils down to this. That's my natural parents and grandparents and siblings. But we're talking about a heavenly father who is perfect, who is incapable of holding sins against you, who is incapable of being anything but faithful. And like I said, there are two different types of people in this room or listening. You're either the one that needs the miracle or you're the one that needs to be pulling someone with you towards a miracle. And I don't know about you, but I see a city and a county and a state in a nation, in a world that is in desperate need of someone or someones to grab them by the hand and say, I don't care whether you or not you see it, you believe it, you feel it, I am going to pull you with me because my faith is going to get you to Jesus. Last year, we spent a lot of time praying for miracles over a virus over unity instead of division, over politics and elections. But I feel like the Lord sent me on assignment this morning to say that now is the time that that we pray for the miracle of salvation. That it is time for a revival to break out. And it is time for us to stand up tall and pray. Because 
And, and, and this is a natural story, okay? So the, it's not perfect. But not once did my, whether it's my parents, my grandparents, whoever, not once did they come and try and sit me down and have an intervention with me and try and force things down my throat that I wasn't ready to hear. They prayed for me in the secret place. They lifted me up when I was feeling down. They smiled even though they wanted to cry. And I'm telling you that the same God who rescued me from my sin, rescued you from your sin, is the same God who will rescue them from theirs. And there is no one, no one who still has breath in their lungs that is too far gone. Not one. The God of yesteryear is going to be the God of this year. And we have seen miracles take place. My family in itself, I can just off the top of my head think of five undeniable, nothing but God miracles. And the same God that can break five loaves of bread, a couple of fish, and feed thousands is the same God who can rescue your wayward son or daughter, is the same God who can restore your marriage, is the same God who can heal your family member, is the same God that can save that politician that you disagree with, are you with me this morning? He is that same God still. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't really know how I was going to end it this, this morning. And normally we'd end with a song and a, and a time of response. But if I'm being really honest, I felt like the Lord said, no, this is, this is a word that like, people need to carry on their shoulders as they leave. It is good and right to pray for the everyday things. We do that already. But what I feel like the Lord is calling us to in this season is a time dedicated to the, the prayers and the groanings of the saints in the secret place. For the people that you would never be able to have a conversation with and get through to, but God can. But God can move on a heart in a moment. But God can give a sign, wonder, or miracle that draws them in. But God, 